When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. When the ice breaks, when the hot shake in the town and the moxie in the winter, the end of my love for now and you spent your summer. G'day everyone and welcome once again to another episode of the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. And this one is a good one, a special one, episode number 120 in our weekly series. I'm your host, Rick Cole. Every week, right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we'll take a trip down memory lane back 50 years in time to bring you all the hockey news from that period exactly as it was reported by some of the greatest sports writers of all time. This week, it's February 28th to March 6th, 1972. Well, if you like what we do here every week on the Hockey Podcast Network, you can help us out a lot by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years and subscribe to this podcast. Subscribers get early access to every week's free podcast. That's a given every week. We also have some other very special episodes that we provide several times a month. We haven't been getting as many out as we like to lately, and I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, what we do put out is uh, pretty interesting, and we like to get a little more deep into the uh, issues that were rocking the hockey world back then. Uh, The WHA is one of our main topics in the year 1972, and you're going to learn a lot about that that you might not hear anywhere else. Now, I want to give you a bit of an update on our our situation here. As many of you know, we've taken a step back from the Twitter feed during this past past week. Uh, The lingering effects of COVID-19. I have long COVID, and it's not fun. the stuff has just slowed me down too much to get everything completed in the uh, quality and the manner that we like to do. Now, my son Andy's a rock for me with the podcast. He he takes care of the big pieces of work, but the Twitter is just a one-person operation, and it's basically all up to me. So I want to let you know exactly what's going on so you understand where we're at with this. Everyone who was long covid uh, basically has a different experience with it. I've done a lot of reading, tried to educate myself on the subject, and uh, I'm finding that there's a lot of information that just is not known. So, like I said, everyone has different experiences. For me, there's a few main symptoms that persist even now two months after we first ended up 
getting diagnosed with COVID. Uh, the main uh, symptoms are fatigue. Uh, the breathing from time to time gets restricted. I still have a few vision issues, some sinus problems, but worst of all is the cognitive impairment. Now, the good news is it's rare for me, it is, it's rare for me to experience all of those things in one day. It's more like a lottery every day where I wake up in the morning. I never know quite what's going to be bothering me that particular day. It's always something. Some days it's only fatigue, uh, which always seems to be with me. The brain fog, though, is the most confounding of this whole mess. It actually slows me down immensely. It takes me literally at least twice as long to do the things I normally do. Basic stuff like typing is getting very, very difficult, and organizing my thoughts and enunciating them has become really difficult. Of course, the fatigue kicks in quickly and it just slows me down and I have to rest. Because of the fatigue and that brain fog, you want to call it, it's also difficult to maintain focus on the tasks that I need to work on. So that's just slowed me down so much. And uh, For example, today I'm actually recording the podcast a whole day later than my normal schedule does because I just wasn't able to get a script written. Uh, the only reason I'm able to get through this as well as I am is because it I've written a script which took me twice as long to write and I have the thoughts there in front of me. If I didn't have this, believe me, we, we I don't know where we'd be in the conversation right now. So let, let's start off this week with a look at the NHL standings as they were going into this last couple days of February and first week of March. Well, the Bruins had played 63 games, had a record of 46 wins, 8 losses and 9 ties for 101 points, and that was 9 in front of the New York Rangers. The Rangers were kind of hanging in there, but they will get devastating news this week, which we'll tell you about. But they were back 9 points at 92. They were comfortably ahead of Montreal by 8. Canadians in third place with 84. And then it was a dogfight for fourth place in that Eastern Division. Detroit and Toronto each with 63 points as the week began. The Wings with a 27, 27 and 9 record compared to the Leafs, 26, 27 and 11. So the Red Wings had a game in hand. Then the Sabres had taken a three point lead over the Canucks for the battle of the 1970 expansion teams, 41 to 38. In the West, the game Minnesota North Stars were starting to finally lose a lot of ground to the powerful Blackhawks. Blackhawks with a 39-16-8 record, now at 86 points, 13 ahead of the North Stars. But the North Stars had no worries about finishing otherwhere, anywhere other than second place. Uh, the final playoff spot was a dogfight between four teams at this point. The Blues had 53 points. The Seals... 51, the Flyers 49, and the Penguins 47. The Kings were pretty well out of it at that point with 39 points, but those uh, four teams for two positions it was going to look like it might just go down to the wire. The Seals had were everybody's darling earlier in the season uh, because they'd been so bad the first few years of expansion. This year they started out well, but things are starting to unravel a bit in California. And the trading of their captain Carl Vadney last week did not bode well for the future. And the Seals would actually run into a little difficulty in the executive suite this week as well. 
A lot of quick head items for this week, I guess you'd call them. Uh, there, there are a couple dominant stories that we will get into in quite a bit of detail. But let's go over all these, these quickets because there's a lot of it. Uh, there was a sad note to begin the week. William Worsley, the father of North Stars goalie Lauren Gump Worsley, passed away in Montreal. He was 79 years old. Uh, the Gumper carried on, though, and he did play this week for the North Stars, but it was with a heavy heart. Gump create, uh, credited his dad, Bill, for getting him, in, getting him into the goalkeeping game. Now, the Bruins, as we mentioned, were starting to run away with the Eastern Division and, in fact, the overall lead as well in the NHL. They completed this week a six-game road trip by winning all six games on the road. The streak saw Phil Esposito managed to move into the NHL goal-scoring race uh, just ahead of Jean Rattel. More on Jean later. But Jerry Cheevers, the Bruins goalkeeper, extended his personal unbeaten streak between the pipes for the Bruins to 25 consecutive games. There was all kinds of controversy in Oakland this week, and when have I not said that in a show? seems it's always going on with that poor excuse for an NHL franchise. But then again, this is the NHL. They fit right in. Well, Vice President Munson Campbell of the Seals announced his resignation, or rather, the Seals found out he was quitting. It was Gary Young, the GM, who actually confirmed that Munson, the vice president of the team, was flying the coop. Now, Campbell was the guy, Munson Campbell, was the guy who sold the National Hockey League Board of Governors on the the uh, suitability of Charlie Finley as an NHL owner, and he was Charlie O's biggest backer until recently. Now, no one knew the straw that broke the camel's back for sure, but from what we've been able to gather from reading the 25 or so newspapers that covered hockey at the top of the list in these days, the last straw may have been the trade of Captain Carol Vadney to the Boston Bruins. The story goes, and we've kind of pieced this together from several different reports, so I can't credit one guy. Uh, The story goes that it was Finley himself who engineered the trade of Vadney to the Bruins, and Gary Young later, the GM, would later confirm this when he confirmed to people he was not quitting the Seals at this time. Young said that they had several valid quality offers for Vadney, including one of four or maybe five players from the Toronto Maple Leafs that would have included two Leaf defensemen presently on their roster and young right winger Rick Kehoe. But Finley had it in his mind there was one player he wanted. The Bruins had him, and he wasn't going to trade Vadney until he got him, and that player on the Bruins was not Bobby Orr. The player he wanted was young right winger Reg Leach, and he got him along with uh, Rick Smith, a fair to middling defenseman, and a guy named Bob Stewart, who never really, he played in the NHL, but he really never amounted to much. That was the straw that broke the camel's back for for Munson Campbell. He apparently told Finley, don't get in there. The owner does not negotiate the trades. Trust the people that work for you. Finley, type of guy that doesn't trust anybody but himself, made the deal himself. We'll never know whether that was the best deal or not. Reggie Leach did not have a great career in California because he didn't last there. He ended up being traded to the Flyers where he had a great career, and I believe mainly because of the group into which he was inserted, and of course he won Stanley Cups in Philadelphia. 
Well, the Minnesota North Stars were making some news this week, and it was pretty positive all the way around, I'd have to say, for Ren the Bird Blair's team. Now, Ren won his first battle that the North Stars would have with the World Hockey Association St. Paul Fighting Saints by early in the wink, inking right-winger Bill Goldsworthy to a brand-new three-year contract. Goldsworthy was the main target of the new St. Paul club. He wasn't their first draft pick in that WHA draft. That honor went to Henry Boucher, who last week signed with the Detroit Red Wings. So the Fighting Saints concentrated all their efforts on Goldsworthy to sign him away from the Minnesota North Stars, but the lanky right winger opted to stay with the Minnesota club, the the North Stars, for the next three years, and at that time Blair was also working on a contract for Jude Druin, who was apparently a main target of the Miami Screaming Eagles, and we'll talk about them a little later in a very detailed report. And we have some more coming up as we go chronologically through the week with the quick hits from the North Stars. Now, Danny O'Shea uh, was recently traded from Chicago to St. Louis Blues. He had been acquired last year from the North Stars by the Blackhawks. Well, he was really happy to have landed with St. Louis. Danny said, he told Bob Verdi, by the way, this of the Chicago Tribune, he said, I was depressed in Chicago. I wasn't getting much ice time. I was playing badly because I wasn't relaxed. St. Louis is a young team and in a rebuilding stage. Danny says that now he's playing on a regular line with a regular shift, and he would have been glad to be in Chicago for the playoff money they're obviously going to earn this year. But he says he wouldn't have gone back to Chicago for another year, meaning he has options, and the WHA is probably one of them. You know, the expansion teams really do have some interesting stories coming out. Here's one from Buffalo this week, uh, Dateline Buffalo, New York, February 28th. Police suspect an inside job in a theft of $24,347 in concession receipts from Buffalo's Memorial Auditorium. Three masked gunmen jumped from the shadows of a garage and took the cash from two Sports Service Corporation employees and their way to a bank. Sports Service was the company that had the concession rights for the odd. An estimated $5,000 in two bank bags was actually left behind when the bandits abandoned the employees in a car several blocks from the downtown sports facilities. The bandits, police said, were apparently familiar with Monday morning routine of taking the receipts from the concessionaire's basement office. The robbery took place while members of the NHL Buffalo Sabres were posing for pictures upstairs at the odd. It followed the busiest sports weekend in the auditorium's history with 50,000 fans visiting the arena to watch pro hockey and basketball games four college basketball games, and an open practice from the National Basketball Association Buffalo Braves. I used to get a kick out of the double speak that came from NHL uh, executives, officials, whatever, uh, and I mean by the off-ice people, uh, when they would explain something that didn't quite seem right about the NHL. They did it long before I was old enough to even understand it. And it continues now, 50 years later. Well, this week, 50 years ago, 
National Hockey League referee-in-chief Scotty Morrison says that his officials are not skirting the new third-man-in rule implemented by the NHL this season. This was a rule where a guy who gets into a fight between two players, the third man in, automatically is issued a game misconduct. He's banished from the game just for the rest of the game, of course, and he has to pay a fine. Now, he says that the officials, the NHL referees, are not getting around this rule because uh, of what they were doing. And we saw this, and we knew they were doing it. Two guys would get into a, a skirmish. they drop the gloves. They would get at it. It would be like uh, many other fights. You know, one, two punches thrown, then they'd get into the bear hugs. Everybody would, would gather around. They'd send them to the penalty box five minutes for fighting. Well, now the referees are doing this and giving out roughing penalties so the third guy in, whoever he happens to be, especially if he happens to be a Bobby Hull or a Bobby Orr or a Phil Esposito, they don't get the game misconduct penalty. Only really obvious prolonged boxing matches and nobody usually jumps into them unless one guy's really getting beaten. So anyway, Scotty Morrison says this is the the NHL referees are just using their discretion or lack thereof to give the roughing penalties instead of the fighting majors. And then he goes on to say that, well, it doesn't matter because you can give a third man in penalty for roughing minors anyway. So they're not really skirting any, any uh, rules at all. So maybe what's happening here is that uh, the NHL refs just don't know the rules and that's not why they're given the third man rule in. Or maybe they just don't care to enforce the rule book as it's written. Or more likely, it's both of the above. Well, as we told you last week, Toronto Maple Leaf coach Johnny McClellan took ill. He went to hospital for tests for... Uh, gastrointestinal issues I guess we would describe them so and it was basically decided that Johnny was just plain old worn out from the very stressful job of coaching professional hockey in Toronto well the Leafs out you know having Johnny's best interest at heart said Johnny you're going to Florida for a complete rest for a week or two they installed King Clancy to uh, coach the team and as usual as soon as Clancy got on the job the Leafs won three in a row Go figure, that happened back when Clancy took over for Punch Imlac a few years ago. Well, anyway, so Johnny and his wife boarded a jet at Malton Airport in Toronto, headed for a nonstop flight to Florida, and they got on a, a door near the front of the aircraft, as you know how these worked back then, 50 years ago, and they walked through the first-class section. Imagine Johnny McClellan's surprise when, lo and behold, sitting in first class, Johnny was way back in coach. In fact, he was near the back of the plane. Sitting there in first class were Mr. and Mrs. Bernie Perrant, who, of course, gave a big smile and a wave. Bernie Perrant headed to Florida as well. More on that later. We'll get in a little more detail on that one. Dick Wood is a 33-year-old lawyer from New York City who has now become the president of the World Hockey Association, New York Raiders. Very appropriate name, the Raiders, eh? Or maybe they just wanted to sound like the New York Rangers, hoping that New York sports fans are dumb enough to mistake one product for the other. Who knows? Who knows what the WHA guys are thinking these days? Anyway... 
Wood says that Al Kazmarek is a fellow that the league has kind of contracted to scout the European Hockey Leagues and bring over the best European players for the World Hockey Association. He apparently has been given a finder's fee for every player that he's uh, that he's found somebody said it was as much as 1500 bucks a player maybe two thousand dollars a player wood says that kazmarek has already at this point signed 100 european players for the wha well we'll just see how many of them actually end up and i wonder if they're signing uh at high contract sub translators for training camp this fall now, Wood also told reporters this week that his team, and this is something, you know, I'm 100% behind this. As many of you know, I have a background in anti-racism training and uh, issues of uh, race uh, equality are very, very strong to me. Uh, Wood also told reporters this week that the New York Raiders aim to sign the two black players who are presently in the upper levels of pro hockey, Alton White of the Providence Reds and Willie O'Ree of the San Diego Gulls. A lot of talk in hockey circles around the NHL this week that Vancouver coach Hal Laco's job, although he was given a vote of confidence about a month ago, a lot of people think he's going to be gone before the season's end now that they are losing the battle for uh, last place, they're going to win the battle for last place, actually, with the B- Buffalo Sabres. Well, Bud Poyle was at a couple of different breakfast luncheons, our breakfast uh, meetings this week, uh, service club meetings kind of thing. You've, you've been to them, Rotary Club meetings, stuff like that. Well, how Laco's job is secure, according to Bud Poyle, but only until the end of the season. Now, this was interesting. Four or five different newspapers reported on this story some said Laco's job was secure until the end of the season and then he's gone and others interpreted Poyle's remarks which by the way I'm not going to quote it because the quotes all say different things but others kind of interpreted Poyle's remarks as saying yeah Hal's good until the end of the year and we might just bring him back next year for sure. A few interesting playing moves before the March 6th trading deadline that's coming along this week. Uh, Some jockeying, uh, roster tweaking by the teams. The Leafs called up left winger Brian Spencer from Tulsa of the Central Hockey League to replace the injured Guy Trache. And they were thinking of bringing up uh, an unknown guy by the name of Errol Thompson as well, who was playing pretty well. Uh, We told you about Errol before. He was playing pretty well down at Tulsa. The Blackhawks summoned J.P. Bortolo from Central Hockey League Dallas, where he was, I think, the third leading goal scorer in the Central Hockey League. J.P. stands for Jean-Pierre, joins his brother Chris Bortolo, who was recently acquired by the Blackhawks from the Blues in the trade that sent Danny O'Shea to St. Louis. Another brother act was also reunited this week when the Blues acquired forward Kevin O'Shea from Buffalo. The Sabres put O'Shea on waivers and the Blues snapped them up so they could have the O'Shea brothers in St. Louis. Here's another story out of Buffalo uh, involving law enforcement again or breaking of the law, whatever you want to call it. It's off-ice activities, Dateline Buffalo, February 29th. This is in the New York Daily News. Two National Hockey League players were arrested. 
in Buffalo on the 29th after they became disorderly and fought with police in a downtown restaurant. Not sure which one it was. Stan Gilbertson, 27, and Joseph Johnson, 23, both of Oakland, California, during the winter, and members of the California Golden Seals pleaded guilty to public intoxication and disorderly conduct in Buffalo City Court. Judge James L. Kane sentenced the men to an unconditional discharge after their lawyer, Richard M. Wazinski, told the court his clients were leaving the city. Judge Kane dismissed additional charges of resisting arrest against both defendants with the approval of the district attorney's office. Patrolman Thomas Panabianco and Gerald Batshold said they were summoned to the restaurant about 4.30 a.m. after receiving a complaint of two men using obscene language in said establishment. Authorities said Gilbertson and Johnson refused to quiet down and struggled with the police when they were placed under arrest. The players were subdued and led from the restaurant in handcuffs. Thankfully, we don't have any perp walk pictures of that one. The police said the suspects told them they had remained in the city following a 4-4 tie game with the Sabres on Sunday evening. Gilbertson assisted in two goals and then teamed up with Johnson for a third score. Authorities said the men were leaving Buffalo this afternoon for a game in New York on Wednesday. You'll remember Ed Fitkin, the former uh, Hockey Night Canada broadcaster, Toronto sports journalist. Uh, you remember he worked for Jack Kent Cook and the Kings their first couple of years. Well, Ed has resurfaced in the World Hockey Association. He was named the general manager of the San Francisco franchise, but that job went down the drain when the San Francisco franchise went down the drain and was moved to Quebec City. So now he's working in the league offices doing some promotional stuff, and he told uh, folks back in Toronto this week that NHL players are calling the WHA offices for more information, quoting Ed, like crazy. There was also a very strong rumor that one of those players was Carol Vadney, recently traded to the Bruins. Now, the rumor goes that Vadney had, before the trade, inked a, a, a three-year contract with an unnamed WHA team while he was with the Seals, but after getting traded to the Bruins, now Vad is trying to get out of that commitment he's alleged to have made. Here's a case of a junior player who wants to play in Toronto and uh, the OHA and CHA isn't sure they should let him. I'll just read you this story. Young fellow by name of Greg Neeld, N-E-E-L-D. He's a 15-year-old when he arrived in Toronto last summer. He came from Vancouver and he had his rights transferred to the OHA from the British Columbia branch of the CAHA. Uh, he played defense for the Markham Waxers of the Metro Junior B League. Well, Neil's name was placed on the Marlboro protected list of eight midget age players, but the other major junior A teams objected on the grounds that players under midget age cannot be transferred to the protected list of any team in an area in which their family doesn't reside. Now, here's where this gets 
a little goofy. The Marlboros contend that Greg's father is an Air Canada pilot, and he transferred his residence to Toronto. But the remainder of the family had remained in British Columbia, but has committed to join them later. Under CAHA rules, this was a permissible transfer situation. But by a vote of 5-1, to one, the Junior Council voted against the Marlboros protecting Neild. Uh, Montreal was absent and three teams abstained from voting under, until further information could be obtained. It was a non-majority vote, as OHA President Tubby Smaltz pointed out. But as with all Junior A legislation, it had to go to the subcommittee for approval or disapproval. And so the subcommittee sent the controversial subject back to the major Junior A operators with a request for additional information if the case is going to come back to them again. So right now, Greg Neal's future is up in the air. The information was that the Marleys were going to carry on until somebody forcibly thwarted them from doing so. In other words, a court order. Greg Neal's name may be familiar to you right now. He will surface again in, in a couple of years. Well, horrible news for the New York Rangers on Wednesday of this week. Jean Rattel cracked a bone above his right ankle during Wednesday night's game against the California Golden Seals, and he's going to be lost to the Rangers for the balance of the National Hockey League regular season. Rattel was enjoying the greatest scoring season in Ranger history with 46 goals and 63 assists at this point in the season. At the time he was hurt, Jean was only one point behind Phil Esposito of the Bruins for the scoring championship. He had 109 points. The injury occurred on Rattel's first shift in the second period of the game when he was hit on the inside of his right leg just above the ankle by a puck fired by teammate Ranger defenseman Dale Rolfe. Jean was taken to Lenox Hill Hospital for x-rays and the crack was discovered. Emil Francis, coach and GM of the Rangers, said Rattel's ankle will be in a cast for three weeks and then it'll be at least another week before he can resume skating and the playoffs begin on April 4th. Rattel the next morning proclaimed he would be back for the playoffs and we'll just have to wait and see if he does in fact make it back. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Basketball Association, is just too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings has given all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TH. PN bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
You must be 21 or plus. Minimum age and location requirements do vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for a full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gambling resources. It's void, we're prohibited, and a minimum $5 deposit is required. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text TN Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY, which is 467-369. couple of days before the trade deadline, uh, there were a lot of rumors of deals, but very few, as we mentioned, well, we'll mention, actually came to fruition. That's that sportscaster's word, fruition. Love that word. Anyway, there was a deal cooking between the Sabres and the Maple Leafs. Uh, the deal would send Guy Trache to Buffalo. Trache, of course, was a huge crowd's favorite at the old small-sized odd during his American Hockey League years with the Buffalo Bisons. They loved him. They loved the most in Buffalo. Well, he was going to go to the Sabres in a straight one-for-one deal for a young right winger named Danny Lawson. The deal was thought to be all but done, but Buffalo suddenly cooled on the swap, maybe for two reasons. Lawson started to score a few goals for Buffalo, and Trotche come down with an injury, and there was another reason that this deal might have got the kibosh. Punch Imlach, still recovering at his Scarborough home, got wind of the deal, probably made, they were told he made a call to the odd and vetoed the swap. Well, after getting Bill Goldsworthy under contract and away from the clutches of the World Hockey Association early in the week, Ren Blair rolled up his sleeves and really got to work. And by Thursday, Blair had signed four more regulars to multi-year NHL contracts. They were left wingers Danny Grant and Jean-Paul Parise, center Murray Oliver and right winger Lou Nanny, all key members of the North Stars Club. Blair said Oliver signed a three-year contract starting next season and Nanny, Grant, and Parise agreed to two-year deals and that really makes the North Stars core a little more solid and it demonstrates to the players that at least their team is going to be proactive in dealing with the WHA. Can you imagine here, 50 years later, as we look at history, if the Maple Leafs had been as uh, proactive as Ren Blair? I rag on Ren Blair a lot. A lot of people don't like him for a lot of different reasons. But he handled this part of it exactly right. A quick American Hockey League note for this week. It was an undernourished Boston Braves hockey team that hit the ice in Providence Sunday. If you ever played hockey at any high level or even not at a high level, you know these kind of things went on. If you could get away with it, you did. Now, the reason the Boston Braves were undernourished in Providence, well, the night before they were to play in Providence, the Baltimore Clippers stole the Braves' dinner, probably in retaliation for being beaten 4-1 to by the Boston Braves. Now, here's what happened. 
Chicken box dinners for the whole team and entourage had been ordered from former NFL All-Pro Gino Marchetti's restaurant across from the Baltimore Arena for the Braves to eat on the bus ride north to Providence. Wasn't going to be a long ride. When goalie Dan Bouchard and business manager Ken Fraser trekked over to Marchetti's restaurant to pick up the food, it wasn't there. What had happened was the Baltimore Clippers team had scoffed the chicken to eat on the way to Tidewater and their Sunday night game. So it was an empty-bellied Boston team that arrived in Providence. Who knows, with some chicken under their belts, the Braves might have beaten the Reds instead of settling for a tie. Anytime a National Hockey League record is tied or broken, it's usually a noteworthy occurrence. But we had a really interesting uh, incident take place this week on Thursday night. Two goalies playing in entirely different games tied the National Hockey League record for assists in a season by a netminder. That's right. Eddie Johnston of the Bruins early in their game earned his fourth assist of the season and later on Al Smith, goalie for the Red Wings, kept pace with Johnson's total, earning his fourth as well. So the NHL record for assists in a season at this point was now four, shared by two guys who matched each other on the same night. That doesn't happen very often. Here's one I really hadn't heard of too much until I did my research here 50 years later. But another city has entered the World Hockey Association picture possibly looking for or having been offered a franchise. A Thunder Bay, Ontario newspaper says that a World Hockey Association franchise was offered to that city on the condition that the municipality provides a 12,000-seat arena to house the WHA team. Now, World Hockey Association President Gary Davidson was quick to comment that the offer did not come from the WHA League office, and Ben Hatskin of Winnipeg added that his group had not made any offer to Thunder Bay, which is about the closest, uh, the, the WHA city of Winnipeg is about the closest to Thunder Bay of any other city. And the newspaper was not forthcoming with a source for its information, but there was speculation in Ottawa that it was possible that the Ottawa team was looking to play a few games way up north. And if you've been to Thunder Bay in the set in the winter, you'd wonder why anybody would want to play a few games up north. Oh, if they had a 12,000-seat arena, they certainly would have gotten lots of people, but Thunder Bay is not that big of a city. Speaking of franchises and moving, there was also a rumor this week that the Knox family of Buffalo had planned to purchase the American Hockey League Rochester Americans and move their Cincinnati farm team to New York State just down the thruway to Rochester. Seymour Knox of the Sabres categorically denied that any such move of the Cincinnati franchise had even been considered and they would definitely be there next season. The arena in Atlanta that's going to house the new National Hockey League team this season, next season I should say, will be known as the Omni. 
Now, what the hell does Omni even mean? Well, Michael McDonald is uh, the president of the advertising firm that came up with the moniker, and here is what he told the Atlanta Constitution. And we'll just quote Mr. McDonald here. Omni is a Latin word meaning all. It is part of our language of today and truly does mean everything. The Omni, a name which can be cast in bronze and broadcast across the breadth of this land to say something about a community that is itself far beyond ordinary. Dale Talon of the Vancouver Canucks says he's been offered $150,000 for two seasons to sign with the Minnesota Fighting Saints. Talon says, I'd be crazy not to sign with St. Paul if I don't get a large salary increase from Vancouver. If I signed with St. Paul, the 150000 would have to be deposited in a bank in trust to my lawyer, Alan Eagleson. Oh boy, there's that word trust with Alan Eagleson again. And he said, that would have to be deposited before I make a move. Then if the league did fail, I'd have what was left of the hundred and fifty grand to fall back on. As we mentioned on uh, Sunday night, March 6th, the trading deadline arrived. Back then, the trading deadline was not the uh, extravaganza that we witnessed today. It would come and go, and in s- several NHL cities, the mention of the trade deadline got like, we wonder if our team will make a move before March 6th. And in most, overwhelmingly most cases, nobody did. The deadline was 3 a.m. actually on the 7th or midnight on the 6th, depending on your time zone. Two trades were made, uh, and actually one came the night before, when uh, the Sabres shipped Eddie Shack out of town. You remember Eddie got suspended for walking out of the odd? We told you the story last week. Well, the Sabres made a pretty good deal with this one. They sent Eddie Shack to the Pittsburgh Penguins and got back an unheralded rookie uh, center right winger by the name of Rene Robert. Hmm, I wonder if they could find a spot for him on one of their forward lines. Sunday night... The Sabres sent defenseman Chris Evans to the St. Louis Blues. Everybody seemed to think the biggest part of that deal was rookie George Morrison, but the Wiley Sabres management team also wangled a second-round pick from the Blues in that deal. A little more on a story we had before, uh, last week, I think, about the Vancouver Canucks uh, top guys, Tom Scallon and Lyman Walters, having been charged with criminal offenses in Canada. Well, they were remanded out of custody without plea when they appeared in provincial court charged with theft of about $3 bucks from the NHL club's corporate organization. Judge Larry Eckert remanded the Minneapolis-Minnesota men to April 4th when a date would be set, possibly for mid-July, for the case to be heard. Mid-July, that'd be pretty quick of a case of this magnitude. 50 years later, it's going to take months and months and months and months and months for that. Scallon is president and Walter's vice president of the Medical Investment Corporation, properly known as Medicor, of Minneapolis. And they control the Canucks through a 60% shareholding in Northwest Sports Enterprises Limited, owner of the Vancouver Club. Both hold similar positions in Northwest Sports. 
Moments before appearing before Judge Eckert, the two men were officially served with summonses issued on February 22nd on information sworn by Andrew B. Campbell, an investigator for the British Columbia Securities Commission. The summonses were not read in court, but the information claims that Scallon and Walters stole about $3 million from Northwest Sports on or about December 15, 1970, and did they unlawfully make, circulate, or publish a prospectus dated November 13, 1970, that they knew to be false in a material particular with the intent to induce members of the public to become shareholders in Northwest Sports. Although no plea was entered at this court appearance, both men have categorically denied the charges. Each charge carries a maximum penalty of 10 years imprisonment or a $10,000 fine. Gord Walker of the Globe and Mail reports on the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series, the major junior A in Ontario, and he found a guy pretty interesting. He wanted to talk about him, and he gave us this report this week. Last spring, Roger Nielsen put 20,000 miles on his car chasing around the province to see mostly midget tournament hockey games, and that's one big reason why the Peterborough Peets are in the upper echelons of the Ontario Hockey Association Major Junior A standing. Nielsen is not only a very good coach, he's an excellent judge of hockey talent. His personal observation of players recommended by his scouts is the basis for his selections at the annual draft of overage midget players. Because of his consistent success in this lottery, it has been referred to as the Roger Nielsen benefit draw. Why does it work so well for him? Why do so many of his draft choices make it big in junior hockey? Well, they have to make it, Roger says. If they don't, where am I going to get my players? That's why we told our first three choices for the past four years, we've got a spot for them. We put them into school right away. That gives them the confidence to do the job. At last spring's draft, Nielsen picked three defensemen and a forward in the first three rounds, including an extra first-round choice from a Toronto-Marlboro trade, and all four became regulars. The defensemen are Paul McIntosh, Mike St. Cyr, and Jim Turkowitz, and the forward is Billy Evo. In mid-December, the Peets almost lost all four in a multi-car crash on Highway 401 while they were on their way to their southwestern Ontario homes for a weekend visit. McIntosh, the driver of the car, suffered a broken ankle and a fractured kneecap, and he was uh, lost for the remainder of the season. Nielsen said, while Paul put his skates on Tuesday for the first time, stumbled out on the ice, he's got a pin in his ankle, all the other players just stood around the boards and watched him. He said it felt good to get back on the ice, but he was hoping uh, to be stronger than he was. He was awfully weak to start with. Roger Nielsen said that they were hoping that maybe by the playoffs he could be available for point duty on the power play. McIntosh has, has a good shot from the point. Now, the Peets have been hit hard by misfortune this season, and Nielsen has dealt with it well. During the summer, Jim Mahan was electrocuted in a farm accident. High-scoring uh, forward Paul Raymer lost five weeks and 14 games while recuperating from nervous depression. And Colin Campbell, the only team's only returning defenseman, missed 13 games with a broken rib. 
Nielsen says that Mahan was the best right winger in the OHA, and there aren't many who would argue with that. He probably would have been a great national hockey leaguer. Perhaps the biggest story of the week uh, was how the week started off, and it's the Bernie Perrant saga between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the World Hockey Association. Bernie, as uh, we mentioned last week, went to Miami to attend a press conference, and Dick Beddows of the Globe and Mail tagged along, as did a few Toronto writers, and Dick files this report. So we can give you kind of the Dick Beddows impression of what was going on that was really kind of a strange uh, press conference. So here's Beto's report. Bernie Perron consented to join the Miami Screaming Eagles yesterday, perhaps to the disbelief of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Harold Ballard, president of Maple Leaf Gardens, was saying in the Leafs dressing room on Saturday night, I don't think Bernie will be in Miami on Sunday. He's got more loyalty to the Leafs than most people think, but perhaps not so much devotion as Mr. Ballard would like to believe. The 26-year-old goalkeeper and his wife, Carol, flew to Miami on Sunday morning, announced her intentions of settling in the South Coast City yesterday, Sunday afternoon. Perrant did not sign a contract with the Screaming Eagles, at least not publicly, but he did agree with conditions announced by by, uh, Mort Beagle, that's the name, who is a legal beagle for the WHA team. We are pleased and satisfied, Beagle told a small press conference, to announce that Bernie has agreed to sign with Miami for a contract in excess of $100,000 a year. He will sign a WHA contract with us when the current season ends in the NHL. Pressed in subsequent questioning, Beagle claimed the agreed length of the pact is five years. Now, why didn't they sign at this time? Well, obviously, they don't want to get into legal entanglements of maybe Bernie acting in bad faith by signing a contract with somebody else while he was still under contract to the May police. But there are some other uh, twists in this story. We told you some of them. There was actually questions as to whether Bernie Perrant even had a valid contract with the Maple Leafs. It would be found out that he signed, he basically agreed to this year's contract, maybe a two-year contract and a handshake, but there was some question whether a verbal contract would be binding or not. These are things I'm adding to Mr. Beto's report. Beto's went on to say that the press conference attracted about 20 reporters, including three baseball writers on the uh, lamb from the Montreal Expos training camp up the road in West Palm Beach. There was enough television equipment in Miami's new sprawling merchandise mark to suggest the Screaming Eagles were about to film at least a minor segment of War and Peace. A segment of war, anyway. The grabbing of Perrant from the Maple Leafs is guaranteed not to create much peace between the pushy, ambitious WHA and the selfish, entrenched, entitled NHL. Perrant and his wife sat at a long, elevated table below a large welcoming sign, Bienvenue, Bernie and Carol. 
It should have been Bernie A. Carroll, but uh, who's going to quibble over a, an E and a T? The stage was decorated with the crossed hockey sticks and a model of the Eagles' gaudy uniform screaming red and white with a stripe of gold running from the armpit of the jersey to the waist. The gold, explained the nice lady in charge of decor, is a speed stripe. In flight, it will give a player the streamlined look of an eagle. Perrant had the streamlined look of a good tailor when he stood up to speak. Natty, in a navy shirt and a basic brown jacket with wide lapels and a belt in the back. He spoke easily into a nest of microphones in spite of concentrated TV lights which produced a shine of perspiration upon his brow. Good afternoon, he began with a hint of a Gallic accent. It is an honor and pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to next year with the Screaming Eagles. He paused and said, I just like to say you sure have great weather here. Meanwhile, Harold Ballard was saying, Bernie, you can just go to blazes. And maybe he would. The Miami Herald reported on the event as well. We have a little bit of what they had to say. They basically uh, reported what Beto's did. So Beto's report was probably fairly accurate. But one thing that they did do that uh, Beto's didn't is they spoke to Howard Casper, who's Perant's lawyer, and uh, wondered about the complications with contracts. Casper uh, said, in my opinion, Bernie Perrant has no contract with Toronto, but that not be the Maple Leafs' opinion. If the Leafs had physical evidence of a, of a contract, Bernie signed at this time they could possibly bring suit in a Canadian court. That's physical evidence of a Miami contract. And then he said, we might have a problem with them up there. But uh, Les Patrick, the general manager of the Miami team, agreed. He said, Bernie's contract with the Leafs is really up in the air. And the issue, I think, was whether a verbal agreement would be enforceable. It's actually, and he's right about this, embarrassing to the National Hockey League. And it's a long legal entanglement now. And we are avoiding discussing specifics of his agreement with us because of a possible lawsuit. But Howard Casper was quick to add, though his status with the Leafs is up in the air right now, we hope to have it resolved within the next few days. And we'll just have to wait to see how this unfolds. And finally, this week, uh, we had a story. I just, it's kind of a personal thing for me. The New York Islanders were beginning to construct their uh, their team and one of the fellows that they named to be their chief scout was a fellow by the name of Ed Chadwick. Ed was a Maple Leaf regular goalie in the 50s. In fact, he was the goalie just before Johnny Bauer took over in the Toronto goal. Ed's the last Maple Leaf goalie and he still holds the record, I believe, for playing 140 consecutive games. He's the last Maple Leaf goalie to play 70 games in a season in uh, 56-57 and 57-58 and he then split the next season with Johnny Bauer and played uh, up until the 67-68 season at which time he retired and went into the scouting business. Well, Bill's first scouting job was briefly with Pittsburgh, but then he was hired on by uh, the Oakland Seals at that time, California Seals, to become a scout there, and he worked with Bill Torrey. When Bill agreed to take on the general manager job 
of the New York Islanders. He asked Ed if he would be interested in going along with him. Ed looking around and saying, hmm, New York or California, and then thinking, Charlie Finley or Bill Torrey, he agreed to go to the uh, Islanders with Bill Torrey. But Ed always uh, kind of, uh, Ed could be a little mischievous at times. He didn't tell his wife about this. Uh, he, he he didn't tell Jackie at all. What he did is uh, he quit the SEALs and he went home. And of course, they were, the family was living in Fort Erie at those days. And when he arrived home, Jackie said, what are you doing here? And he said, I quit. And she says, what are we going to do for money? <laughs> and Ed it said he was going to try and prolong the uh, prank a little longer. But then he said, no, no. He says, I, I got a job already. Don't worry. He says, I'm going to be in New York. We'll be a lot closer to home. And I'm going to be doing the same job. But I'm going to be doing it with Bill Torrey, who was a good friend of Bill's, uh, of Ed's at that time. So Ed was uh, interviewed by a couple of different newspapers uh, around New York that were uh, trying to give the Islanders some good coverage. And and he told me exactly, he told me all these years later in a conversation we had in the last week or so, uh, exactly what he told them back then. I, I found it amazing because I didn't mention about the stories I'd read, but he told me just how tough it was going to be and how his, he was hitting the ground running and he was immediately going down to Fort Worth and the other teams in the Central League to scout the players that he hoped would be available in the expansion draft. And that's exactly what he told the uh, papers back 50 years ago. In fact, he said back then that the first place he went to was Fort Worth. And Ed would eventually end up as the general manager coach of that Fort Worth farm team in the Central Hockey League for the New York Islanders. And he still remembers it all these days later at age 89. So that's this week's show, everyone. And I, this week, I could have gone on for two or three hours with all the news that was taking place in hockey at that time. And we'll probably have a few of the longer uh, stories that were coming out at this time. We're going to have those in an upcoming overtime session. So a uh, good idea to subscribe to the podcast. What did we learn this week? Well, we learned it looks like Bernie Prant's going to go to the WHA, and it's quite likely the Leafs won't be using legal means to thwart the move because they probably don't have a leg to stand on. Uh, we also learned that uh, we uh, there's a very successful junior coach named Roger Nielsen who looks like uh, he's a, wor- a hockey workaholic, and he just might have a future in the NHL. Uh, We saw the trade deadline come and go, relatively uneventful trade deadline, and the Islanders named some scouts. One of them, good friend of mine, although we didn't know each other at the time. I've learned a lot about hockey from Ed Chadwick right up to this day. The 50 Years Ago on Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. I couldn't do this without him. There's just no way I can thank him enough for all the hard work he puts into this. Andy also produces podcasts professionally. If you're thinking of doing something like this, get a hold of me. I'll hook you up with Andy. Maybe he can uh, be of service to you. He is a true media professional. 
very popular Juno-nominated Toronto indie rock group, the Rural Alberta Advantage. They provide our introduction and exit music. If you ever get a chance to see them perform live, and they are going on tour this year, they put on a great high-energy show. Other musical pieces that you hear in the podcast are uh, authored by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files of the Toronto Star, Toronto Global Mail, and the many publications found at newspapers.com. You can find us on Twitter at at Hockey50Years, on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey. We have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. And of course, right here on the Hockey Podcast Network or through your favorite podcast app. Don't forget our other sponsor, the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Coburn, Ontario. They're open for business now. I was there the other day. Their wings are absolutely amazing. And they have a maple lager beer that they're producing right now. It's only available in the spring because they use pure maple syrup 40 gallons of pure maple syrup go into the recipe to make this batch it is an amazing uh, beverage and uh, it's made from a recipe from the original Cronmiller and White Brewing Company which was in Port Colburn a hundred years ago actually more than that now uh if you ever get a chance to get to the Niagara region, come to the Breakwall Brewing Company, let me know, and we'll have a burger and a beer at the Breakwall. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone, and on that note, we will see you next week. When the ice breaks-